We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ, and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. series, as I said earlier, called Back to the Basics, where we're looking at the fundamentals. What is Christianity all about? What is the church, and why is it important? And today we're looking at a, que- a question, what is the gospel? And it, if you know anything about uh, successful people or athletes or, or people who have, uh, who have made it somewhere in life, oftentimes what they'll tell you is that the basics or the fundamentals were vital. And so it, when we look at people like uh, basketball all-stars and, and Hall of Famers like Larry Bird and Michael Jordan, this is what they said. Uh, Larry Bird said, when asked about success in basketball and in life, he said, first master the fundamentals. And Michael Jordan, he said that, get the fundamentals down and the level of everything that you do will rise. And, and so w- w- without first learning to follow through, you can't learn to shoot three-pointers consistently. And in the business world, without understanding your company's vision and values, you you can't succeed at your company and move forward. And so it's the same thing with Christianity and the church. If if we want to be a healthy, gospel-centered, Bible-preaching church where people come to know Jesus and, and a church that goes out into the community around us, into the nations with the gospel, then we have to ask questions like, what is the gospel? We have to know what that means. You see, the gospel is the foundation of the Christian life and the church's mission. It is absolutely vital that as as believers in Christ, we understand what this message is, what it's all about. Because if we don't understand it, if we can't communicate it, then how do we share it with those around us? Then how do we preach it to the ends of the world, to the nations around us? You see, we have to ask this question. Because this question is at the heart of our faith. We've looked over the last couple of weeks at questions like, what is Christianity and why should we believe it? And what we saw there is that Christianity is about Jesus Christ and following him and seeing that he is God who has come to save. That he is the master, our Lord, the one that we should follow in life. And last week we asked the question, what is the Bible and why should we trust it? And we saw that the Bible claims to be God's revelation of himself to us. It doesn't claim to be a collection of men's ideas about God, but God speaking to us as men wrote what he led them to write as the Holy Spirit carried them along in their task. And we noted that the gospel is, in fact, one of the reasons why we should trust the Bible. Because this this message that we proclaim, what we said last week, if you remember, is that it, it, it seems ridiculous when you first look at it. Christians, we, we worship a king who came not to just conquer and establish his rule and reign on the earth, but to die. No one in the history of humanity has worshipped a king who came to establish a kingdom by dying and by suffering. And this is the one in which we place our hope. 
And you see, it's, it's, it's ridiculous unless it's true. The gospel is, is so profoundly ridiculous that it has to be true. That, that Jesus has to actually be risen from the grave because he, one man, has impacted the world like no one else in the history of mankind. And the reason that he's had such an impact is because he's not just a man, but he's God come to save. And this is what the gospel's about. It's about Jesus. It's about God providing a way for us to be reconciled to himself through his son. You see, the gospel, it starts with who God is and what he's designed the world to look like and what he's designed human life to be and how it should function. And then the gospel also talks about who we are, who humanity is, and and what we were made to do. And how we've fallen short of that, where brokenness and sin and evil entered into our world and corrupted God's good creation. But the gospel doesn't just leave us there with the bad news. It it points us to the good news that God has sent us a redeemer to bring about our redemption. And finally, it leads us to believe in the full and complete restoration of all that God has made at the end when Jesus comes again. So this is what the gospel is about. This is the foundation of the Christian life and the church's mission. And so we're going to look at at three three things today. We're going to look, one, at how the gospel is good news. And then we're going to look at two helpful ways of understanding this message that we proclaim. And I I hope it will help you as, as you seek to share this gospel of hope with others. We're going to first look at how the gospel is for the world. And last, we'll look at how the gospel is for you. So three things. The gospel is good news. The gospel is for the world. And the gospel is for you. So turn with me to Mark chapter 1 as we look at this question, what is the gospel? And begin by looking at how the gospel is good news. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Uh, When you get there, you you can place a marker there. And if you want to know where we're going uh, later, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 15 for a little bit, and you can place some bookmarks there as well. So whenever I ask somebody this question, what is the gospel? Even for those of us who who have studied the scriptures for years, even for those of us who have grown up in church, even for those of us who have been around Christians our entire lives, I get a hundred different answers every time. Whenever I ask the question, what is the gospel? I get answers like, the gospel is the word of God. Or the gospel is, is the Bible and what God wants us to do. Or, or the gospel is, is what Christians believe and, and what is true. Or, or I get answers like, the gospel is, is about how we should live. How we should live in relationship to God. How we should live our lives. And so I get all these different answers. And so whenever we ask the question, what is the gospel? It's vitally important and it's relevant for us because oftentimes we're not sure how to answer it. And so we throw out what we think it might be. But the, but the Bible is actually very clear about what the gospel is. And, and we can find the answer to this question by looking to the scriptures and asking the Bible, what is the gospel? And so Mark chapter 1, here's what we read about Jesus and the beginning of his ministry. 
Mark writes, now after John was arrested, talking about John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, the first thing that he, he does as he begins to preach is he preaches the gospel. He begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of God, and he calls people to turn and believe in this gospel, to put, place their hope in this message. And so if we want to understand what Jesus is saying and what the scriptures are saying about this question, what is the gospel, we have to say, what does that gospel word mean? Well, I think the simplest way to put it is that gospel means good news. It's, it's the kind of good news that makes you want to sing and dance and cry tears of joy. And so for me, I, I, you know, I think back to just a few months ago when, when my wife and I were, were sitting in a hospital in St. Louis around Easter weekend, and we were wondering if, if our newborn niece was going to make it. And, and we sat there with family and friends, and, and we cried, and we prayed, and, and we hoped that God would do something. And, and as we waited, what we were waiting for was any moment a doctor or someone who had good news to come around the corner and tell us. We were longing for hope. We were longing for there to be healing and restoration, for there to be strength where there was weakness. We were longing for good news. And so maybe you've been in that place before. Maybe you've been in a place where you've been in a hospital waiting room waiting on someone who's been in surgery for hours and you're just waiting for the doctor to come around the corner just praying that they'll have an announcement of good news. That they'll have something to tell you that gives you hope. Hope that leads to, to laughter and joy again. Hope that leads to a, a future that you weren't sure if it was going to come. Hope that leads to tears of joy and a desire to, to sing and dance and praise God. And see, whenever we, whenever we got good news that, that she was going to be okay, that's what we did. We wept tears of joy. We'd received good news after having received some really bad news. And that's what makes good news so sweet, isn't it? That good news is announced when we thought there might be bad news or when in fact there was. You see, Jesus comes on the scene here in Mark chapter 1 and he, became, he, he begins by announcing a message. He becomes proclaiming something. He comes proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God. See, when Jesus and, and, the, and the people who write about him talk about the gospel. They're talking about good news that was announced. It was proclaimed. And so in the ancient world, you, the kind of idea here was that when, when kings and, and their armies were off at battle, then there would be, a, when the battle was concluded, when someone had won the victory, there would be a messenger who would be sent. And they would, they would run to the city to announce the good news that the king and his army had won. That, that there was hope and that they had won the victory. And, and so it's the same idea here that Jesus is coming and he is announcing that there is good news for the broken and hurting and the sinful. 
He's coming proclaiming a message. So the gospel is a message. It's a message about good news. It's, it's an announcement of good news. And, and the gospel is, is not just any good news. It's the gospel of God. It's the good news of God, which means it, it comes from God and is about God. So the good news, when we talk about the gospel, what we're talking about primarily is what God has done for us, not what we can do for God. We're ta- it's an announcement that something has already been accomplished. You see, you don't run into the room announcing victory before it's done. You run into the room and announce victory when it's accomplished and over and done. You see, the gospel is about what God has done for you, not what you can do for God. The gospel comes from God. At Paul, in Galatians chapter 1, we read this. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, listen to this part, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. And so Paul says this gospel that he's received, this gospel that he's going around preaching and proclaiming, it didn't come from any man's idea. You see, you and I, we would never think this up. This message, we, we would never come up with it. That, that the way to life is the death of a man 2,000 years ago. We would never come up with that. That, that the way to hope and everlasting joy is through the suffering of one who hung on a Roman cross and bled out. We would never think up this message on our own. You see, this this good news, it comes from God himself, that Jesus stood in our place, that he was raised on the third day, and that we can have hope forever because of that. You see, you and I would never think the same. The, The gospel... And, and, and what we talked about last week with the scriptures themselves, they don't come from man. They come from God who has revealed truth to us about himself. That's what Paul's saying, is that God revealed to him this good news. He showed it to him. And, and, and this, is, this, is an amazing, this provides an amazing amount of hope for those of us who doubt. Because you know what? Paul doubted. Paul If you go back and read in Galatians 1 here, he says he wanted nothing to do with the church, nothing to do with the Christian message, nothing to do with the gospel. Paul persecuted the church. Paul sought out to destroy the church and its message and and thought it was ridiculous until God revealed himself to Paul, until God revealed his son, Jesus, to Paul, until Jesus showed himself who he was and what he had done. And then, Paul could do nothing but go the rest of his life proclaiming this message of hope and redemption. 
of a reconciliation to God through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. So Paul preaches this message of good news from God and about what God has done for us. See, the gospel, he says, is about Jesus. When he, it says, in order that I might preach him. So when Paul talks about preaching the gospel, he's talking about preaching Jesus the Christ. Jesus is the content of the gospel's message. Jesus' life and work on our behalf is the gospel, is the good news. This is what the gospel is all about. So we see that the gospel is good news, and and next we see that a helpful way of looking at this is is that the gospel is for the world. You see, and and there's, there's four parts to this idea that the gospel is for the world. We look at creation, we look at the fall, then we look at reconciliation and restoration. So creation, fall, reconciliation, and restoration. This is the gospel for the world. And so, so I think a helpful way that I've heard to think about this is Matt Chandler said there, there's, there's kind of two ways to think about the gospel. One is you can think about it from like a 30,000-foot view. And so this is like if you're flying back into Louisville from a business trip or a mission trip or a vacation or something, and, and you see the city as you begin to fly in, and you say, this is Louisville. As you look at it, you say, this is our city. And then there's a way to walk down the street with a friend on the ground and, and as you're showing them your city, maybe they're a visitor, and, and, and you're saying, this is Louisville, as you're walking down the street. And both of those views of Louisville are true. They're both your city, from 30,000 feet in the air and on the ground. And similarly with the gospel, we can look at it from a 30,000-foot view as we look at how the gospel is for the world. It's God's story of redemption, his plan for everything. And then we can also look at the gospel from the ground and how it's for you personally. As we look at who God is, who we are, what Christ has done for us, and how we respond to that. That's the gospel on the ground for you. And so we can see the gospel from these two lenses, and as we look at them, it's helpful to look through both of them because they help us understand its fullness. And so the gospel is for the world. It begins with creation, this idea that God made everything good. In Genesis 1, we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then at the end of the chapter, it says, and God saw everything that he had made, the heavens and the earth, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And so as God creates the heavens and the earth, he makes everything that there is. And then he steps back and he looks at it all and he says, it's very good. And what we noted in our series on Genesis that that meant was that all of creation at that point was functioning according to God's purposes, his intended plans for it. It was all good. It was all in the right place. It all functioned properly and did what it was supposed to do. As God, the creator, the designer, had designed it to work. So God created everything good. And, and there's, there's an implication for us, though. 
if God made everything and he made everything good and he's responsible for everything, then that means that everything in creation, including you and I, are accountable to him alone because he owns it all, because he's the one who made it all. And so you and I and everything in creation, what is good for us and what is evil for us, what is right for us and what is wrong for us, what is just for us and what is unjust in this life is defined by the one who made it. If God made everything, then he determines the way that it was supposed to function. And so we have to live our lives in submission to his rule and reign, not our own. You see, this has been humanity's problem from the beginning, is that we wanted to live life the way we wanted to live it, rather than how it was designed to be lived. And God made everything good, just, just like, it's kind of like an author or an artist, as they, as they make something, as they write a story, they're the one that gets to determine the story, right? As they write their narrative, they construct the world of the narrative. They construct their fictional story. And what they do is, is they determine in the story what the characters are supposed to do. Ways in which they might fall away from that and how redemption can happen so they get back to their intended purpose. You see, when an author writes a book, they determine what is good and evil in the story. They determine what's right and wrong in their narrative. And similarly, God, the creator and designer of everything, is the only one who has the right to determine what is good versus evil, what is right for us and wrong for us, what is true justice and what is unjust. God as creator determines this because he made everything good and good is defined by him. Not by the created, but by the creator. And secondly, so after we see that God has created everything good, we see that there was a fall. And this is what we talked about in Genesis 3 through 11, is that sin entered the world and creation was broken because of humanity's sin. You see, for, for something to be not good or, or wrong or sinful or broken or evil is for it to not function according to God's planned and intended purposes for it. It's for it to stray outside of God's will and design. It's for it to transgress his good boundaries that are, that are meant for our joy. You see, humanity was created by God to have dominion over God's creation. We were made as his image bearers in Genesis 1. Uh, we see that God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. and the image of God, he created him, both male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it. You see, so God made us as his representatives on the earth. We were made to represent God's rule and reign over everything that he had made. And we talked about in Genesis how in the ancient world, kings would set a, a statue in areas over which they ruled to represent that they were the one who ruled over it. And similarly, you and I have been made as God's image bearers to reflect his good rule and reign throughout his creation. 
But instead of reflecting God's rule and reign, we decided that we wanted to rule and reign ourselves. And the fall happened. Genesis 3, we, 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 instead of trusting that God knew what was good versus evil, we said, I can determine good and evil for myself. And we took of the fruit and we ate. And then there was the curse because God said there would be consequences for rebelling against the created order, rebelling against how he had designed things. There would be brokenness that would ensue. There would be a curse. There would be consequences. And, and, and one of these consequences was, was not just for us, not just that death would be brought to us, but that the ground, the earth itself would be cursed because we'd been placed in stewardship over it. And so our sin affected everything underneath our dominion. Everything that God had entrusted to us to steward was affected by our sin against him. In Genesis 3, we read, Cursed is the ground because of you, as God speaks to Adam about the consequences of his sin, the results of what has happened. In Romans 8, we read that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, so, so just as you and I, just as we long for a better world, just as we long for redemption, as we long for restoration, the creation that we live in, which God has made, has been impacted by our sin and broken by it, and it too groans and longs for the truths of the gospel. For the coming king who will restore all things by reconciling the world to himself in Jesus. You see, to help us understand why, why creation would be impacted by, by our sin, it's helpful to think about an organization. So, so if, if you've seen a leader of an organization become corrupt, then you've also seen some of the fallout from that corruption being exposed. And so when a CEO comes out as being corrupt, maybe they stole money or maybe they did uh, wrong things with what they were entrusted with, then oftentimes what happens is stock prices begin to drop and, and then you see that customers begin to have a distrust of the company itself. And why do they do that? Because what we know is that when the one who is placed in charge of something is, is doing wrong, is, is corrupted then a lot of the time, everything else underneath that person is corrupted as well. And so similarly, as you and I were, were placed as stewards over God's creation, as his representatives, whenever we sinned against God, whenever we rebelled against the way he designed things to work, everything underneath us was corrupted as well. It was broken by what we had done. And it longs for God's redemption. This is why we see and experience so much pain and suffering in the world. This is, why, this, this is how the gospel meets us in our suffering in a broken Genesis 3 world. Because we experience things like, like depression and anxiety. We experience things like relational conflict in our homes, in our families, and at the work, in the workplace. We experience things like disease and death. I, I, I think back on, on just, just the last year and some of the things that I've seen people go through. And, and, and the reason for it all 
was that creation was broken by humanity's sin at the beginning, and there were consequences for that. There were things that happened. There was suffering that we would experience. We would toil and work hard, and it would be painful, and we would still struggle to provide for our families because we rebelled against God's design, and it broke creation. You see, I, I think back over my, my first six months as, as a lead pastor and, and how I had 10 different people come into my office asking for help with a variety of different things and, and, and how six or seven of those were, were dealing with really intense suffering from their lives, from their past or their present, dealing with things like abuse and, and neglect and, and things that had happened to them in life that are a result of the fall. See, we experience suffering in this life because it's, this world is broken. I think back over just the last few months and how after, after that Easter weekend where we were wondering if our niece was going to make it, then just a few weeks later, my brother-in-law had to preach the funeral of their good friend's newborn after going through all that with his own daughter. And then, not a couple weeks after that, I got a text message from a family member in Missouri asking me to pray for a couple who, who thought they were going to lose their newborn one week. And as soon as the newborn got better, they lost their two-year-old to meningitis. You see, we experience disease and death and suffering and brokenness. Because things are not the way that they should be. Because the world is not functioning according to God's good designs and plans for it. And the moment in history when all that began is when humanity decided that they knew better than God did and they reached out and took of the fruit. And creation fell. It was broken, it was shattered, and it's in need of redemption and restoration. You see, here's the hope, is that God is bringing reconciliation. God is reconciling the world to himself in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is about how God's people and God's world are being reconciled to himself through the person and work of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. He calls us ambassadors for Christ, God, God making his appeal through us. And in this passage, we, we see that, that there's these beautiful truths about the gospel. The gospel, our faith in the gospel reconciles us to God. Personally, individually, it, it makes us new creations in Christ. And then the gospel, it, it also has this amazing ability to reconcile us to one another. You see, you see, the church is so beautiful, not because we've got everything figured out, but because a bunch of messed up, broken people from different walks in life who would have no other reason to fellowship, to be in relationship together, are brought together 
by the message of grace and hope in Jesus the Christ. You see, the gospel reconciles us to God and it reconciles us to one another. It gives us hope for the kind of racial tensions we experience in our country even now. That peoples who are different, who have had hostility towards one another in the past can be reconciled through faith in the Jesus who rules over everything and brings people together by his grace in him to give them true and lasting unity and peace. The gospel gives us hope for the world that is suffering and hurting as as messengers of reconciliation, as those who are ambassadors of God, Christ making his appeal through us. We go to the ends of the earth with this gospel of hope, and as we do so, missionaries provide physical relief for those who are struggling in poverty, even as they preach this message that there can be hope for those who are spiritually impoverished. You see, the gospel provides this, this impetus, this drive towards reconciliation because the gospel is about God reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ. The gospel is about reconciliation. Uh, and then we see that there's this aspect of restoration. So we read in, in Revelation 21, John writes for us, he says, about the end times, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. It makes you think back to the garden where God walked among his people. At the end, he'll walk among us again, as he's already done in Jesus Christ when he came the first time. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. See, the gospel is about restoration. It's about the day, the day, not just where Jesus died on the cross and then was risen from the grave, but also the day when Jesus returns again. And he restores everything. He makes all things new. He wipes every tear from our eyes. Death and pain and suffering are done away with, and everything that went wrong is made right again. The gospel provides hope for both the sufferer and the sinner. The gospel meets us in our place of pain in a broken world and points us to the hope of reconciliation with God and the restoration of God's good creation, which has been broken by sin. The gospel is about what God is doing to bring reconciliation and restoration. This is the gospel for the world. And finally, we see that the gospel, it's not just good news, it's not just, it's not just for the world, but it's for you, it's for you and me. We see that God is, is holy. This is, this is our view of the gospel from the ground as it, as it hits daily life, as it matters for you and I personally. 
We, we first see that God is holy, which means God is perfect in every way you can imagine. In Psalm 11, we read, For the Lord is righteous, he loves justice, and the upright will see his face. In Habakkuk 1.13, it says about God, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And then in 1 Peter 1, we read, But as he who has called you is holy, so you also must be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And Jesus says, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The picture of God in Scripture is one who is perfect, who always does what is right and just and good. He's always true. He never lies. And he's always faithful. You see, you and I, we don't have categories for this because all of us don't meet that description. Not one of us is always faithful. Not one of us is always true. Not one of us is always good. But God is. God is perfect in every way. He's absolutely pure. He always does what is right, and he's completely committed to that which is good. This is what it means for God to be holy. He's set apart and devoted to that which is good and true. And, and this is absolutely vital for understanding why, why sin is such a serious problem for us. Understanding that God is holy, that God is perfect, helps us understand this idea that man is sinful. Because sin is serious, not just because of what's been done, but because of who it's been done against. Sin's not just a serious problem for us because we've done something wrong, but because we have rebelled against the good creator God who is always good. And our sin is primarily an offense against him. You see, there's certain people that we're willing to offend in life and others that we're not. So you, you think about maybe calling in uh, to a customer, customer service representative or, or just the other day, you know, and, and I was, I was, I, I think I was kind, you know, maybe I had some room for growth here, but I was, I was chatting a customer service representative with, with Roku the other day. And they, they, they charged my card, you know, like five bucks or something that I didn't do. And so I said, can, can you just refund me the charge? And, and they, they gave me the runaround, you know, like you typically get when you call customer service or you text them, you know, and, and they're like, well, we'll have to submit a request and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, you, you can't just refund the five bucks. Like, I thought this would just be easy. That's why I contacted you. You know, and, and a lot of times we're, we're willing to offend a customer service representative, right? We're willing to say some things to them that maybe we wouldn't be willing to say to even, even a, an associate in a retail store in person. Because the customer service representative is not there. We don't know them. We can't see them. They're not present. And so we're willing to offend them. Sadly. Wrongfully. But we do sometimes. Or, or maybe you think about, uh, you know, as you're driving down the road and, 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 and somebody cuts you off and, and you're willing to yell at that other driver through closed windows and as you know, they're speeding off in front of you because they'll never hear you and they won't do anything about what you said to them. Or, or maybe you think about maybe your coworkers and, and how, you know, you're, you're really willing to confront your coworkers and, and maybe even disregard or disrespect them in a way that you wouldn't your boss. Because your coworkers are on the same plane as you. They're on the same level playing field. They don't have any authority over you. Or maybe we think about, you know, we're, we're really willing to confront someone who repeatedly does what is wrong, that's unjust, that treats us unfairly. 
But we hesitate to yell at the sales associate who is present, who is in front of us. We hesitate to yell at the driver who uh, our window's down and their window's down, we're stopped at a red light because, you know what, they might just get out of the car and do something about it. We, we hesitate when, when someone can hear us, when someone is present. We hesitate when it's a boss who's higher up than us and has authority over us, and we hesitate to confront someone who always does what is right. And this is what we've misunderstood about our relationship with God. You see, God is always and everywhere actually present. You see, God always hears and sees everything that you do, even the thoughts and intentions of your heart. You see, God is higher than all and over everything in terms of his authority. Everything belongs to him and has to submit to him because he made it all. And God always does what is right, just, and true. And yet, we, we misunderstand the seriousness of our sin because we think it's more serious to yell at a person in front of us than it is to rebel against the God who made us. And, and here's the other reality about sin. We, we've misunderstood the significance of who we've sinned against. You know, David Platt says that it's, it's like the difference between offending a cab driver in a foreign country and the king of that country. Like, if, uh, he said, if I punch the cab driver, you know, I might, I might get in a fight or I might do some prison time. But if I punch the king in the face, then I'm dead. You see, it matters who you've sinned against. And what David t- tells us about our sin is that it's primarily sin against God. No matter who we've sinned against, it's also primarily and, and mostly sin against God who made everything and everyone. David says, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And so, see, when we sin against other people, we we do sin against them in a real way, but that sin is not just against the person in front of you or the customer service representative who's not in front of you. It's sin against the God who made you and who made them. Everything belongs to God. So an offense against someone that he's made is not just an offense against them. It's an offense against the creator who made them. Our sin is significant, not just because of what we do, but who it's done against. This is the idea that man is sinful. Paul says we were before having life in Christ through the hope of the gospel, we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. He talks about how we were by nature children of wrath. And see, you and I, we, we think that we're really pretty good people that make a few mistakes here and there. But what the Bible is trying to get us to see about ourselves is we're not good people who make a few mistakes. We're inherently sinful people that need a redeemer. You see, we think that we're good because we're better than our neighbor. We think that we're good because we're better than the guy on the news who was arrested for sexual abuse and, and trafficking. We think we're, we're better than, than the guy who got arrested down the street because he was a murderer or, or because he, he cheated on his, or because his marriage fell apart. You know, he's not arrested because his marriage fell apart, but his marriage falls apart and, and ours doesn't, and we think we're better because we didn't cheat on our spouse, but he did. 
You see, we constantly do this comparison game where I've got good, more good marks than he does. And we think that makes us a good person, and sometimes we make a few mistakes. When in reality, we're inherently sinful and we need a redeemer because here's the reality. We may not, we may not be as bad as our neighbor down the street, but we know nothing about our neighbors. And, and nothing in our life even comes close to resembling loving our neighbor as ourselves. You see, we may not be guilty of sexual abuse or human trafficking or something terrible like that, but we abuse the people that we care about with our words all the time. You see, we may not be a murderer, but we harbor bitterness and anger towards people on a daily basis. And we express rage towards those who offend us. We may not cheat on our spouse, but if people saw the thoughts of our hearts displayed on a screen, they wouldn't want anything to do with us because they would be astounded at how many times we wanted to. You see, you and I, when it comes down to a heart level, we are not good people who make a few mistakes. We are those who are dead in our trespasses and sins by nature, children of wrath, because we don't want what is good. We don't seek after God. We seek our own way, even in the good things we do sometimes. We do them for selfish reasons, to benefit us, not someone else. You see, we center our lives on us rather than on the God who made us, and we rebel against him. And what we need is a savior, Jesus the Christ. This is the hope of the gospel, that Christ saves us from our sins. Paul reminds the Corinthians of the gospel that he preached, and and he says, this is what the gospel is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, Jesus died in your place. This is what the gospel is about. And he goes on to say that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so he says the the gospel is about Jesus' death on your behalf and Jesus' resurrection so that you could have life in him. He goes on to say in Ephesians, we're saved by grace through faith in what Christ has done. We're made new by this faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. This is what the gospel is all about. What we have to see about this gospel is that it's, it's a specific message. It's good news. It's good news for the world, and it's good news for you and me. But it requires a response. See, the gospel requires, Jesus says in Mark 1, when he proclaims the gospel, he says this at the end. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. So he's saying, turn Repent, turn from yourself, turn from trusting in you, turn from doing life your own way and rebelling against God's ways. Turn from that, turn around and walk towards God and believe. The gospel is a message that has to be believed because it makes a claim about what is absolutely true. And unless it's believed, it doesn't have any hope. You see, it has to be received and responded to. This is what Jesus calls us to do, is repent and believe in the gospel. So here's the question today. Not just do you know what the gospel is, 
Do you believe it? Have you turned from yourself and your own ways, from your sin, and trusted and believed in what Jesus has done for you and your place on the cross? And that he was raised from the grave so that you might have life and joy that's everlasting in him. So not just what is the gospel, but do you believe it? Would you pray with me? God, we are in desperate need of your grace and your help, and we are so thankful that you don't just leave us to wonder about life and who you are. Instead, you reveal yourself to us. You show us where we can have hope in you and your son, Jesus. And God, I pray for my friends right now that have have yet to trust in Christ. God, I ask that you would, as you did for Paul, who, who doubted and struggled and, and didn't want anything to do with this message, I, I pray that right now you might show them who you are, that you might show them what you've done for them, and that you might call them to repentance and faith. I pray that you would help them with their unbelief, help them to trust in you. And for those of us who have, God, would you help us to do the same on a daily basis? Would you remind us of the gospel? And that it's the foundation of our life, and it is what our mission as Christians and as the church is all about. So God, help us. For your amazing, beautiful, and glorious name we pray. Amen.